L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. Hey everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Grown Up Stuff. Grown Up Stuff. The Large Nerdron Collider podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Large Nerdron Collider, the podcast that's all about the geeky things happening in the world around us and how very excited we are about them. I hope I said that right because I kind of just went on to autopilot there. I'm Ariel Kasten, and with me, as always, is... Showing in grayscale on my camera, Jonathan Strickland. Call me Razmataz. Okay, Razmataz. <laughs> yeah, uh, there. Well, that'll make more sense in a bit. And yeah, my internet connection is going all sorts of crazy. So I apologize to Ariel if uh, if I end up going Listen. into Kansas pre Wizard of Oz moment. I mean, you're kind of already there. You look like you're in a, a noir Razmataz. Excellent. Well, uh, I have a question for you. Now, this question, Ariel, was uh, inspired by the fact that uh, I got to thinking about how sometimes people discover stuff much later after it has already come out. And often we can see almost like cliquish judgment in some geek circles like almost judging you for not having seen it before, which I think is kind of crappy. I always think it's better to just be like, oh, well, that's awesome that you got to see that. I wish I could have seen it for the first time with you. That would have been great. Um, And the thing that brought that to mind was that we'll be talking about Peacemaker later in this episode. But Mm -hmm. before Peacemaker, there was the Suicide Squad. And before the Suicide Squad, there was Suicide Squad. And when the trailers came out for that movie, they were set to Bohemian Rhapsody and a lot of kids heard Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen for the first time and they flipped out. And a lot of people my age mm-hmm. were like, 
How dare you not know this song when they only heard it when Wayne's World came out? And guess what? Wayne's World is 30 years old today. So. Oh, golly. Uh, why? Why would you say that? <laughs> but that, say that name? But see, that's what. But see, that's what drives me nuts is because there were so many people my age who had never heard Bohemian Rhapsody before Wayne's World. That song came out in 1975. So mm-hmm. my my whole thing is that it's always great to discover something. It's never too late. And with that in mind, what is something that you came to a little late in the party, but you really enjoyed? Uh, there's so many things, so many things. I, you know, the first thing I'll say is Farscape. Like mm. the things that I've come to late, most of them I have not gotten flack for. The things that I get flack for are stuff that I I haven't watched. Like, yeah, Nightmare Before Christmas. Everybody's heard me say that a thousand times. Um, so Farscape, I really loved once I watched it, but it, the series was completely over. Like, and by completely over, I mean the series got canceled in the fourth season. They expected to have a fifth. I think it was the fourth. Maybe it was the third. Anyhow, the series got canceled. They expected to have another season. And then they didn't have anything for like a year or two. And then they came out with a movie to wrap it up. And it was left on a miserable cliffhanger. And I was able to watch the cliffhanger immediately after I watched the final season episode. So um, I came to that late. Buffy is the other one. Buffy, I came to about 10 years late. It wasn't until I met my husband and he introduced me to it. Well, growing up, it was just not the kind of show. Like, I liked science fiction and I liked fantasy, but Buffy just seemed a little Mm -hmm. bit dark and and scary for me watching it now. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's certainly some dark and some scary stuff, but... Yeah, it was, uh, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to. You know, I also came to Buffy a little late. My mom was a huge fan of the show. And my parents, if you ever meet them, uh, bless your heart, they are wonderful, but they will, if they are into something, they they will talk about it at <laughs> length. Um, and And that was one of those things, like I've also encountered that before where you run into people who, talk a lot about something that you don't have any real experience in. To me, it almost becomes like a way to discourage me to get into it mm-hmm. because I feel like I've heard everything already. Uh, but I did finally start watching it. It was, it was still on the air when I started watching. It was maybe like two seasons in, so it wasn't super far in, but um, I caught up pretty quickly. And then at that point I was watching it week to week so that, you know, I was, I was on par with the show coming out, but I would say that for me recently, one that I have uh, really plunged myself into is Community. And I had seen an episode or two of Community in the past and really enjoyed them. I just never watched it when it was regularly on television. First of all, I barely watch any TV, even way back then. But I, I, I haven't seen, like I hadn't watched consecutive episodes, right? I had seen a couple out of context including some of the really famous ones, like uh, the first paintball episode, the war episode. And Mm -hmm. um, over the last couple of days, uh, I have been spending an awful lot of time by myself because I am currently isolating in case I have COVID. The latest test I have taken has said that I might not. And, uh, And I have watched a lot of community so much that I am about a third of the way through the fifth season. And I have one season left after that. And then I'm done. Wow. Six seasons in a movie. That's a lot. Speaking of, uh, we had a, after our last episode, I'm taking a brief bunny trail um, before we get into our news. 
After our last episode, we had a listener, Vivian, Vivian, I'm sorry if I've mispronounced it, write us and tell us about a show similar to Murderville that Australia did and apparently the U.S. picked up called Thank God You're Here. Jonathan, have you watched any of that? I have not because I still have episodes of Community to get through. (laughs) All right. Well, I'll remind you when you're done with Community because it is quite funny. Uh, Thanks. Thanks for letting me know about it. Okay, on to our news, Razzmatazz. I forgot to call you yes. Razzmatazz earlier. I'm gonna. I, I'm debating on whether I want to call you that for the rest of the episode. I'm and debating on whether it, I want you to call me that for the rest of the episode. <laughs> for the rest of your life. Oh um, no! I, I've I've done it to myself. <laughs> our first news item is about the Razzies, uh, which is why Jonathan has. Sorry, Razzmatazz has done this to himself. <laughs> Yeah, and if you're not familiar with the Razzies, these are uh, yearly nominations for some of the worst films and worst performances in films. Uh, and depending upon the year, you could you could say, oh, this is good natured ribbing for stuff that did not turn out the way you wanted to. And in other years, you might say this is just vicious schadenfreude where people are like laughing at, you know, misfortune. So I go back and forth as to whether I find the Razzies amusing or just mean spirited. But uh, yeah, we've got a lot of uh, nominations to talk about, including an entire category dedicated to a single actor. Yeah. So, so here's the thing in general, I feel like Razzies are a little bit mean spirited and sometimes I don't even agree with them. Like uh, there was a song in the movie Newsies that got nominated for a Razzie, and I actually like the song. I mean, it's a nothing song. It's kind of dumb, but it's catchy. Um, but in general, like these actors, for a lot of these things, so if you look at some of the nominees like um, Dear Evan Hansen or The Woman in the Window or even The Last Duel in House of Gucci, these actors put a lot of time and effort and thought and care into their characters even if the people who nominated them for a Razzie thought that they missed the mark or didn't didn't appeal to that particular judge, like these people, they put their hearts into to it for the most part. And so in that sense, I feel like it's a little mean-spirited. Right. But for the category that's dedicated to a single actor, we're talking about Bruce Willis. And I think both you and I can agree that he certainly did not put his heart into every single one of those projects. No. and And for that, you know... I feel like maybe that category is noted. At least having that category is funny, if if not um, reasonable. Uh, Because my understanding, now I haven't watched the Red Letter Media uh, video on it like you did, Jonathan, but my understanding of it from the people who've told me about it is that Bruce Willis got paid a decent chunk of change to do these movies. They were all really quick and he only showed up for part of them. So there are times in like a movie where he'll say a line and when he turns around, it's obviously a different actor walking away. Um. Yeah, no, if you watch that red letter media video where they, they, they essentially review, they look at 11 different direct to video movies that Bruce Willis did. Uh, Seven of them were done last year. And uh, these are like movies that would show up in say Redbox. And you would go and rent them and watch them. And they're all uh, they're all kind of marketed as these films that appeal to generally like an older male demographic. Uh, it's because sort of like the grouchy old man action star demographic. And um, yeah, just as you say, there are sequences where you're, you look at Bruce Willis and he's clearly not in the same place 
as the other actors who are in a scene and it's always in a two shot and it cuts away to Bruce Willis. And it's clear that he shot everything on like a single day of shooting. And whenever they have a, a shot of, of his character in the same space, he's always facing the other way. So it's just some generic bald guy facing the other direction. And it doesn't typically look like Bruce Willis's build. Um, and yeah, supposedly he made like upwards of $2 million per film. So I, I mean, okay, that's, that's crazy. So like, I'm at a point in my career where obviously like I look at any projects that I audition for to see whether it's something that aligns with my personal structure of things that I want to be involved in. But also I'm at a point where I'm like, yeah, I want to be in this because I want to grow my career. He's at a point where I'm like, okay, he's got enough of a fan base that he can just do this and make some easy, good money. Oh, it's really good money to me. Yeah. Maybe he just wants to like, build out a new hot tub or something. And so he's like, I'll just go and work for like six hours and get $2 million. Maybe. And like, if I were in that place where I have such a long and popular career that I could do that and make like $2,000 in a few days or a week or something like that, 2 million, sorry, not two. right now. I'd probably do it for 2000 too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, $2 million. Like I can't say that I wouldn't consider it at least. I mean, I'd like to think that my uh, my standards are are more important than money, but I'm also not being offered two million dollars. So <laughs> it's easy for me to say it now. Yeah. But offer me a couple of million and I might be singing a different tune. But I do think it opens you to the to the criticism. Yes. Uh, so the Razzies are, uh, you know, there are a lot of different movies that were nominated. A big one that showed up in a ton of different categories was a, a a filmed version of Diana the Musical, which closed after 33 performances on Broadway. It did not do well, is the easy way of saying it, uh, which actually just made me think that I kind of wish I could do a show. It's impossible, but I would love to do a podcast where the hosts watch failed Broadway productions, things that only existed for a short time and closed very quickly just to kind of determine how bad were they? Like everything from Spider-Man turn off the dark to uh, the original Carrie musical to legs diamond. I mean, there's tons of, of shows that just completely imploded. One, I would a thousand percent do that with you if it were possible Two, technically some of those might be possible if someone bootlegged recorded from the audience, which I don't suggest doing and I don't condone. Yeah. Well, and, and some of them, though, are like old enough where if you were trying to bootleg, <laughs> you would have had like a 30 pound video cassette camera mounted on your shoulder in order to do it because it was in like the 80s. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I I would love to do that just because I mean, Ariel and I both have done musical theater And we know like sometimes you start off with a project and you're like, wow, this is going to be great. And then it's not until you get close to the end where you think, wow, this is not going to be good at all. (laughs) It's too late then. Well, um, we're going to run out of time because we've spent so much time talking about this, but I need to talk about this next thing. So while we we're going to we're definitely going to chat about this, at least for a couple of minutes. One of the news stories you came across, Ariel, is about a prequel to beauty and the beast. And uh, I wanted to talk about it. So first of all, we're just going to pause here because for the next five minutes, I'm just going to scream incoherently and we'll pick right back up. So uh, uh, Tari, just, just cut here. 
Okay, I got that out of my system. So, Ariel, what's the deal? What's the deal with this prequel? So, Disney is making a series that is... Oh, gosh. I'm, it's returning to the small French town of Villeneuve. I don't even know if that's how you pronounce it. Look, this is how little I like Disney's Beauty and the Beast. It's got some great songs, but I like the original story better. Okay, anyhow, going back to that, I know some people love it. That's great. That's fantastic. This story is taking place to tell the backstory of Gaston and LeFou, at which point, like, I hope they don't call it Beauty and the Beast because it has nothing to do with this. Um, and how Gaston and LeFou became friends. And I really don't care. <laughs> yeah. So here's here's why, like, when I saw this, here's why my brain melted down. We know what happens to Gaston. Mm-hmm. Like, we know what happened. Gaston dies. Gaston is, he's killed. He falls to his death. So we know where the story is going. Do you really want a buddy picture between him and LeFou where you might possibly gain an empathetic attraction to this character? They've done it with Maleficent. They did it with Cruella, so... Cruella didn't die, though. Did she not die in in the cartoon? No, she doesn't die in the car accident, no. I don't think so. I assumed she did. It's been a long time because you know what? It has been a long time since I've seen it too. So I could be totally off there. She Um, might, she might perish in a terrible car wreck. I can't remember. Well, but, but here's, here's the description. I'm going to read a little bit more of it, which is the mischievous and selfish duo discover a surprising revelation that leads them to LeFou's stepsister Tilly on a whirlwind journey filled with the typical Disney buffet of romance, comedy and adventure. But then there's like Rita Ora is in it. She's a, a British singer. If you don't know, and she's playing like this, secret agent type character and I just it feels it feels like really what they want to do is more once upon a time yeah I um I you gotta start you gotta start drawing a line with these Disney villain backstory projects Mm -hmm. I don't I don't need the whole thing about fairy tales for me is that they're very simple right it's very simple to know the good from the bad and you don't need nuance in a fairy tale villain. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's just not necessary because that's not the purpose of that framework. Um, and well, I get that we have this fascination with l- understanding villains more and getting like a sense of motivation and making them deeper than just being bad. I get that, but I also am tired of it. No, I, I get it. I am too. And, I say that we have friends who absolutely prefer the villains over the like the Disney princesses. So we've got a friend who loves Maleficent, you know, Um, and so I'm sure for her, she probably likes the. I I have no idea. I've never actually spoken with her about it. She probably likes Maleficent movies because she likes that character from Sleeping Beauty. And 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 my favorite Disney character is your favorite Disney character's arch nemesis, which is Hook. And I. Well, I would say we got a story about him, but no, Hook, this movie Hook is, one, I don't think it's Disney, and two, no, it's, it's, not. it's about Peter Pan. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, but so I get it, because, like, when you go to a Disney park, Gaston is a lot of fun to interact with, because he's so full of himself, it's fun. Yes. He, 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 he's one of the few Disney characters uh, I would say that Madame Tremaine and the and the stepsisters also qualify for this. But one of the few characters who gets to mess 
with guests in a mm-hmm. fun and and fun way. Like he gets to raz guests and not a lot yeah. of characters get to do that. Um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Maybe I'll change my tune about this prequel later. But for right now, call me majorly skeptical. I can't also, call you razzmatazz and majorly skeptical. Listen, majorly skeptical's my army title. Okay. All right, so we're going to we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we're finally going to tackle the Peacemaker series. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey, everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Here's a clip from an upcoming episode featuring the weekly home checks, Keyshawn Lane, that you won't want to miss. A common mistake that a lot of people do, they use fabric softener when it's not so great for your clothes. Should we never be using fabric softener? No, you should not ever be using fabric softener. It leaves a deposit on our clothes, which is also left in the machine. And it also makes the clothes highly flammable. Wait, what? (laughs) Yes. What you want to do instead is just use a quarter cup of vinegar. And that'll make them softer? That'll make them softer. And if you wanted some kind of scent, you can use essential oils. Wow, wow, wow. Catch new episodes of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult every other Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Grown Up Stuff. Okay, majorly skeptical razzmatazz Jonathan Strickland. Yes, that's my full name. You and I both watch Peacemaker, so you said you don't watch a lot of TV, but I guess, uh, listeners, you can make Jonathan watch TV if you request us to review a show or movie. Um, yes. <laughs> yes, we already talked about Eternals way too long. Um, yeah, for like an hour that, after the episode. <laughs> yeah, we did. We kept on going. But let's be fair. That still wasn't as long as the movie was. That's um, true. And now we're going to talk about Peace, Peacemaker, which which does pick up after the suicide squad. Uh, now, Ariel, did you watch the suicide squad? I did. I watched the suicide squad and I enjoyed it a, a lot more than I thought I would. Yeah, I, I did too. I mean, it was, I, I did feel like the gratuitous violence got, I get that it was played off as a joke, but it was a bit much for me. I mean, James Gunn can do that. I know I'm familiar with James Gunn's work, so yeah. I wasn't surprised by it necessarily, but 
Um, you know, and I, it's not like I object to gore, but I just was like, this feels like it's a little like it's unnecessary how gory this movie is. Um, but whatever, I'm not the one making it. And, uh, I remember going into Peacemaker thinking this must be like a prequel or something. Cause it's no way it could follow the suicide squad because spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the suicide squad, Peacemaker really does seem like there's no way he could have survived that. Cause he gets shot in the neck and then a building falls on him. And yet this is a sequel. And, and that's like, the first episode opens, and I don't think this is a big spoiler. With, in fact, it isn't. With clips f- from the end of the movie, so it's kind of like a previously on, but with mm-hmm. movie footage, which is really unique for a TV show. I don't, I don't think I can recall any other TV shows other than maybe like a Marvel one doing that, and yeah. not to the same extent. Well, and I, I love that immediately you find out the only real damage he had was that he had to have his collarbone replaced mm-hmm. and that was it. And everything else was fine. Cause once you get to that, once you get to that point where James Gunn says all that he suffered, I mean, he got shot in the neck, but he survived that. The only thing he had to have replaced was a collarbone. Everything else was fine. Once you get that, you've got the message of this show is going to be ridiculous. It is not going to apologize for being ridiculous And either you're on board or you're not. So, Jonathan, are you on board? I am so on board. (laughs) (laughs) I am as onboarded as on board can be. Now, that's not to say that I think the show is perfect. I think there are a lot of things about the show that I don't love. But um, but generally speaking, I find the show to be really entertaining. There are there's some real inconsistencies with certain characters, and Mm -hmm. I do not like how hypocritical certain characters can be where they can like be super judgy about someone doing something that they literally turn around five seconds later and do themselves. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, And, and not with a, like it, it doesn't appear to be done intentionally, right? If it's done intentionally where that's part of their character and you realize, Oh, it's part of their character that they're a hypocrite Mm -hmm. and that that's just who they are. That's one thing, but that's not how it's coming across to me. It's more like it's convenient for the plot for the character to do this at this moment. Yeah, um, I do feel that. I I feel like so the series is not done yet. I think it's eight episodes. They yes, we we only have six so far. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like at least for the first two and a half, if not the first three episodes, the characters are all caricatures. That's that's a hard that's a hard line to draw, though, because the entire series is so gonzo, right? Like it's so. It's very trauma. It's very trauma to me, like it feels. (laughs) There's certain characters that are definitely deeper than others, right? Like Harcourt Mm -hmm. feels like she's got a little bit more going on, Um, Mm -hmm. although she's also one of the ones who's worst about being a hypocrite. Uh, I, I feel I feel like she has moments that are really intriguing and, and one that I'm like, ah, give me the resolution to it. But for the most part, I feel like she's kind of one note personally. I I feel like she's got a little bit more. Well, I can see what you're saying. Uh, I, I assume like uh, what's okay. So, so another spoiler alert, if you haven't watched the first episode, but one of the characters is Amanda Waller's daughter. Uh, what's her, do you remember what her character name is? Leota Adobaye. Yeah. Adio, Adio. Uh, yeah. So she, Leota. <laughs> She she is uh she's actually got a lot more going on because you can see that she's conflicted about the stuff that she has to do. Um, I am very curious to find out what the heck Amanda Waller's plan was, because in the most recent episode, uh, an element that was 
first hinted at in the very beginning of the series finally happened. Mm -hmm. And yet I don't know what the purpose was. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I have a love hate relationship with this series, Jonathan. It Mm -hmm. is the violence. Oddly enough is not, not too much for me. I, maybe it's because I expected more from peacemaker. I expected a lot more violence and the violence is pretty gory and they do some pretty grotesque and, and shock value things. For me, though, like the language and the the sexiness part, like the I, I, I'm pretty conservative in what I like to watch as far as like skin. Um, uh, I, I'm I'm old fashioned fade to black, and there's 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 just some stuff in there, like if it's put in well or there's meaning or something like I'm totally fine with that. Or if it's done tastefully, and I feel like a lot of it is in the show is for like shock value or juvenile to get a laugh and it just doesn't make yeah. me laugh and it's so, a punchline yeah. yeah but it's it's i don't know i always feel like blue humor is such a a lazy punchline not not always very often yeah i mean i I, <laughs> I see what you're saying i can't disagree like there is a little bit of uh unnecessary nudity in there that's played up as a laugh there's one particular dirty word they say a lot and I didn't think that word bothered me until I watched this show. Okay, that's interesting. We'll have to have a conversation about that when we're not recording. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I so it, it, it's weird because they're also playing with a protagonist who's not terribly likable. Peacemaker is a bad person. I mean, he's a bad guy. He's part of the Suicide Squad. He's a villain. Um, so he's not he's not a good person. And they they frequently show you that he is not a good person, that he is shallow, egotistical, sexist. Um, and at the same know. time, they make you feel so bad and so much sympathy for him that you like you dislike yourself because you're like, I know he's a missing stare, but like, oh, but he's so nice to this person or he meant well here. He didn't mean to offend somebody. And or I can see that he's hurting. Yeah. And so it's, it's, uh, it's great commentary on today's society, you know? Um, and it's frustrating as a viewer because I'm like, Oh, I don't want to like him. Okay. Now I hate him. Oh no. Now I feel sympathy for him again. And I guess, you know, as a, a good human being, you should feel sympathy for other human beings in general. <laughs> but yeah, well, I mean, when they're as brutally violent as Peacemaker, it's a well, little hard to, to feel that way. But he's not as bad as Vigilante, which is another superhero in the series, which is literally like Deadpool. If Deadpool had absolutely no caring bones in his body. Well, yeah, he's, he's a sociopath. Yeah. He has he's which I, I think he even mentions that he's a sociopath at one point. Yeah, Um, he does not identify, understand or experience emotions. And so he idolizes Peacemaker, but he is he is essentially considered like, oh, it's cool to kill, you know, people I've identified as being bad and who I identify as being bad is a very flexible definition (laughs) that can apply different ways in different situations. Um, I think it's interesting, like it is, you know, it's it's. I think we're in an era where we're kind of seeing a lot of this sort of commentary on superheroes while the superhero craze is still, I mean, Marvel's still churning out superhero content left, right, and center. 
Mm-hmm. But it's also interesting that we've got stuff like Invincible, which obviously existed before it was an uh, animated series. Uh, we've got The Boys. We've got this, where it's kind of, um, you know, looking at things from a different angle and deconstructing. I mean, this isn't new either. I mean, obviously Watchmen did that ages ago. Mm-hmm. But I think it's fascinating that we have that element too. It's also the issue I have a lot with a a lot of other DC properties because they seem to be doing that just in the regular mainstream DC content. Yeah. And I'm like, well, can't you just have your regular mainstream DC content and then have the stuff that deconstructs it? You don't need to deconstruct yourself. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I feel the same way. But uh, I, I, so what, well, overall, would you say that you're finding the series entertaining or is it like something you're watching at this point just to see it through? Um, okay. I, I am not finding it entertaining that I would necessarily recommend it to, I I, I would have to be very specific who I recommended it to. Mm -hmm. Um, but the storyline itself, yes, I do want to see how that plays out. I think the storyline is, is intriguing and especially, like I said, they've they finally put out some stuff where I'm like, how does this resolve? I need to know. And also, John Cena, this is not a sentence I'd ever thought I'd say. He is such an amazing actor. Mm-hmm. I like he he I, I knew he had good comedy chops and, you know, uh, and, and skills and talent. But like he's his performance has just blown me away. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I've been very much entertained by it. Um, uh, I also think it has the greatest opening credits sequence I've seen in years. Uh, That dance sequence is, is amazing. And now that we know that Alan Tudyk stood in for John Cena (laughs) during the, uh, the, the choreography or the, uh, the blocking, Mm -hmm. that's phenomenal too. Cause of course, Uh, because (laughs) yeah, because his, his, his wife is a choreographer and she's the one who was putting together that opening sequence and John Cena wasn't available one day. So they brought in her husband, Alan Tudyk mm-hmm. to stand in for him. And of course we think of Alan Tudyk as you know, the guy from Firefly, as well as voicing every other character in Disney. Um, That's true. So yeah, this was, this is one I, I'm very eager to see how it all plays out too. Cause I'm curious how many like triple crosses we're going to see. Because it seems like half the characters have secrets from the other half of the characters. And you are assuming that at least some of those are going to get uncovered before the series is over. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's only two more episodes and there's a lot to tie up. So. um, Yeah. And uh, I would not be shocked to see that this gets renewed for another season. It's already, I mean, HBO max has essentially said that this is one of their most popular properties that they have, have brought out on their, their streaming service. So yeah, thanks for the suggestion to check it out because, uh, you know, without it, I don't know that Ariel would have, would have bothered watching it. And I know I probably wouldn't have watched Eternals. Uh, I I would have intended to watch it. And then it probably would have gone on my long, like I actually keep a list on my phone of all the shows that I want to watch because it gets to a point where I'm like, I don't have time. What, what, what did I want to watch? I don't remember. Yeah. Okay. I'm just going to watch Shit's Creek again. Um. <laughs> See, I feel like I'm going to end up having to watch this show I've heard about uh, that I need to get into called Brooklyn nine, nine. So maybe oh, I'll, that'll be. Yes. Jonathan. <laughs> so good. It is so good. And like, okay. The first time I watched it and, and maybe I'll watch. <laughs> I did the, not mean for this to become. No, a no, thing. it'll be quick. It'll be quick. Okay. 
I, I might need to watch Peacekeeper again, Peacemaker again. Maybe I'll like it better the second time because the first time I watched Parks and Rec, I didn't care for it. Second time, I really enjoyed it. First time I watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I didn't care for it. I stopped early in. Second time I picked it up, it was brilliant. Like it very much is that uh, hijinksy, uh, prankster sort of humor, especially in the earlier seasons, as long as you know that going in. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, like it's just so good. One of the one of the episodes I actually did watch because it was available on a plane when I was flying someplace was the Cinco de Mayo heist, which mm-hmm. I did not realize meant that there were other heists. Like I oh, didn't know that that was yes. a thing, and then I learned that it is definitely yes, a thing. yes. But um, uh, but that's a discussion for a different episode. We're gonna have yes. to wrap this up because we've got a mashup we gotta do. <laughs> LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. Hey, everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Here's a clip from an upcoming episode featuring the weekly home checks, Keyshawn Lane, that you won't want to miss a common mistake that a lot of people do. They use fabric softener when it's not so great for your clothes. Should we never be using fabric softener? No, you should not ever be using fabric softener. It leaves a deposit on our clothes, which is also left in the machine. And it also makes the clothes highly flammable. Wait, what? (laughs) Yes. What you want to do instead is just use a quarter cup of vinegar. And that'll make them softer? That'll make them softer. And if you wanted some kind of scent, you can use essential oils. Wow, wow, wow. Catch new episodes of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult every other Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Grown Up Stuff. Okay. Majorly skeptical razzmatazz. Yes. Uh, let's do this mashup thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... I was there a reason you picked Jaws? <laughs> yes, uh, because so there was a lot of news this week, but a lot of it just wasn't really inspiring us to mash it up. Yeah, and a lot, um, a lot of it were involving properties that we've already used recently. Like we don't yeah. want to reuse stuff too frequently or too and, close together. And we have some listener suggestions, but again, either the properties are close to we we've recently done the mashup and and 
we want to wait a little bit more before we do that property gear. We're still trying to figure out the best angle because sometimes the suggestions are a bit broad, like do this sort of a thing and this sort of a thing. We're like, that's a great idea. Let us. So, so we're working on those. So I had to come up with one this week. And Jonathan said, what about something with the Oscars? And we were like, huh, a lot of these we've already meshed up. Um <laughs> Yeah. And you know, you have to look, you have to look pretty far into the categories to find stuff that typically falls into the geek sphere in the Oscars, because as we all know, science fiction, horror, those kind of genres, they don't get, they don't typically get a lot of love from the Oscars. Yes. But West Side Story was on there. Steven Spielberg directed West Side Story. Steven Spielberg also directed Jaws. Ergo, Jaws is one of our we had already done West Side, West Side Story, Story, so we couldn't do that. <laughs> okay. And I, and I looked through. I'm like, okay, remind me, Stephen, which did you do? Okay, 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 okay. We've done that. We've done that. Uh, I don't feel like that. You weren't into Close Encounters of the Third Kind or E.T.? Or Artificial Intelligence. We've done E.T. Or Artificial Intelligence or um, Ready Player One was one that I was which considering. I don't, think of, I don't think of Artificial Intelligence as a Spielberg one because it started out as a Kubrick one, but I, I well, totally get what you're saying. Yeah. It's if you look up Steven Spielberg, it's under his list of sure. accomplishments. So we're doing Jaws, which came out the year I was born. <laughs> it's also my favorite movie of, of all time. I, I still can't watch it all the way through. It's really scary to me. I love that movie. Really I have it on uh, Blu-ray and it is uh, like four. It's one of the few 4K Blu-ray movies that I own because I love it so much. So we, we chose to mash that up with Shang-Chi. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, because we haven't done that. It it might also be nominated for something. I don't remember. The Oscar maybe nominations like, just came out. I haven't had much time to look at them. I think it, maybe for visual effects. But yeah, Shang-Chi. Uh, so I guess we should do a quick rundown of what these are, obviously. So Jaws, if you've lived under a rock for the last <laughs> half century. Or you just don't like scary fish movies. Right. Well, it's based off a novel by Peter Benchley, also called Jaws. It's a story about a New England island uh, town that is uh, terrorized by the presence of a great white shark off the coast that is attacking people and not leaving because its food supply is right there. And the story of a sheriff who is trying desperately, one, to get the town to listen to him, and then two, to get rid of the shark. That's Jaws in a nutshell. Great monster movie. Very well done. And the reason it was really well done is because famously the mechanical shark they had for the film didn't work very well. So Spielberg was forced to work around that. And it meant that they weren't showing the shark nearly as much as they had originally intended, which actually makes the movie way more tense. Yes, definitely. And Shang-Chi and Legends of and the Legend of the Ten Rings is a movie that well, Shang-Chi has been a, a comic book character for a while, but uh Disney just recently came out with a movie and he's a cool dude who's a valet uh, with his friend. And then uh, he, through hijinks and shenanigans and scary stuff, gets attacked on a bus and he fights some bad guys and they take his necklace. And then he has to go find his sister because she's in danger because they took his necklace. Um, and then uh, it goes on from there. Yeah, no, important things to know is that his dad is a uh, uh, an ancient warlord He's who who possesses and wields 10 incredibly powerful 
magical, maybe rings that are bracelets and that he can use for all sorts of powerful attacks. Also, if you've watched Iron Man three, he's the Mandarin. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. So th- that's all we need to know. Who do you want to go first? I'll let you go first. Okay. Mine is called Jaws and the Ten Rings. <laughs> all right. Amity Island has a problem. See, it's summer season, the busiest time for Amity, which is positively dependent upon tourism. Without tourists, the local economy simply wouldn't be enough to provide for the local community. So you can see how very important it is to keep the beaches open at all costs. And normally, that's not really the problem, because normally there's no reason to close the beaches. But this year, the year of 1975, is different, because off the shoreline of Amity Island, cruising the waters below the surface where you cannot see it until it's too late is the Ten Rings. Yes, the terrorist and criminal organization led by a giant great white shark who happens to wield ten rings. Like, ten bracelets, but they're on the shark's tail. So, the Ten Rings refers, I want to be clear about this, it refers to both the weapon that's on the shark and the organization. And I know, this gets a bit confusing, but it's okay because both are off the coast of Amity Island. And that's not okay. I mean, I I said just now that it is okay, but by that I mean it's okay that there's this confusion with the name Ten Rings because it refers to different stuff. But it's not okay that they are actually off the coast of Amity Island because, and I don't know if I mentioned this, but the island depends on tourism, and having a terrorist organization active beneath the waters just off the coast is bad draw for tourists. Anyway... At first, Amity is totally unaware of the dangers lurking beneath the waves. But then one day, a bunch of college students are out on the beach at night, partying and drinking. And a couple of them break off from the rest of the group. And there's this pretty young college woman and and her drunk as a skunk would-be suitor. And the woman wants to go swimming, but the dude trips and essentially passes out on the beach. And the woman swims out into the water. Uh, But then out of nowhere, the woman starts getting jerked around in the water. And in a moment, we understand she's being attacked. And then we cut to the next day when the new sheriff of Amity, a guy named Shang-Chi, is called out to the beach because a body has been found. There, Shang-Chi sees the remains of this poor young woman. And the coroner initially says that her death appeared to be caused by a mad warlord shark wielding magical weapons. That was the cause of death. So that's what Shang-Chi is typing up in his report. But then the mayor of Amity stops by, corner in tow, and explains that, no, 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 it can't be that, because if it were, that could mean the end of tourist season. And so it was definitely a boating accident, right? And the coroner says, well, yeah, I guess that's right. And Shang-Chi is like, say what? You, you told me it was a crazed warlord shark that was wielding magic rings. And the coroner's like, whoopsie, easy mistake. Anyway, the mayor keeps the whole thing quiet so that the beaches can stay open. And then this kid named Alex Kittner he, uh, he convinces his mom to let him go back into the water. But once he's out there, the ten rings strike again, and the poor kid is pulled beneath the waves, and the town holds a meeting, and now the mayor's really feeling the pressure from the local business owners, and Shang-Chi is pushing to close the beaches, and the business folks are objecting, and the mayor says it'll only be temporary in order to placate the locals, even though Shang-Chi thinks it's a bad idea. And later that day, a very confused Trevor Slattery shows up. <laughs> apparently dealing with some amnesia because he thinks he might be a, quote, water animal scientist, end quote, because he doesn't know what a marine biologist is. But he tells Shang-Chi that he'll help. 
And so he goes to look at the remains of the young woman and says, this was no boating accident. So, you know, we establish that. Then there's another close call when the Ten Rings, uh, the organization, not the weapon, just to clear things up, totally blow up a fishing boat in a lagoon that has some kids playing in it. So, you know, things are really serious. And this gives Shang-Chi enough leverage to actually do something about the problem. Anyway, Shang-Chi then charters a boat with Trevor and they set out to find the Ten Rings. And their boat's captain is this guy named Quint, who tells a story of how in World War II, he was aboard a ship that was attacked by the Ten Rings. Didn't see the first warlord for about half hour. Sometimes that warlord looks right at you, right into your eyes. And the thing about a warlord is he's got lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eyes. And when he comes at you, he doesn't even seem to be living till he hurls them rings at you. And those black eyes roll over white and then, uh, then you hear the terrible high-pitched screaming. So 1,100 men went into the water, 316 men came out, 10 rings took the rest. And like, the speech is really good, right? Like, it's the, the kind of speech that everyone is going to really remember from the movie, except there was also this bit where Shang-Chi was shoveling chum out the back of a boat and a giant shark springs up for a moment and Shang-Chi says, we're going to need a bigger ring. That one also always gets them. Anyway, they managed to beat the stuffing out of a bunch of Ten Rings terrorists who don't move so fast under the water because they're just in all that scuba gear. So it's hardly a fair fight. Uh, but they're still after the ringleader of the Ten Rings, as it were. I mean, literally, the leader with all the rings, the ring leader, you know, the shark. So that's who they're going for. Anyway, the giant shark starts attacking the boat like he's got a personal vendetta against the boat. And Shang-Chi is trying to fight back. But like, it's so hard to fight under the water, you know? And then the shark essentially chops the boat in half with the rings it wields. And Quint, the captain, ends up getting dragged under the waves, which is totally how he wanted to go because you can kind of see it through the panic in his eyes. And Trevor Slattery accidentally locks himself in a shark cage, and then we get the epic battle between Shang-Chi and the shark. And, like, it's really emotional. Both of them show these amazing powers as they face off, with Shang-Chi actually pulling the command of the Ten Rings, uh, the weapon, not the organization, from the shark. And then at the last moment, Shang-Chi shoves a big oxygen tank in the shark's mouth and then hits it with the rings and the shark blows up. And then we see Shang-Chi and Trevor Slattery slowly make their way to shore. They're holding onto a plank from the sunken boat and they kick their way in. And Shang-Chi shares with Trevor the secret that that great white shark was actually Shang-Chi's dad, Shu Wenwu, the ancient warlord. And Trevor just kind of accepts it because, you know, he's seen some strange stuff. The end. I loved it. I would watch that. <laughs> it made almost no sense. <laughs> it was, it, it made perfect sense to me and I loved it. I loved it. And I love that. I don't think you took a breath through the entire thing either. Yeah, I need to lie down now. Yeah. Okay, well, you can do that while I read my not totally dissimilar, but not totally similar mashup. Um, Hit me. <laughs> and it's called Shang's Gonna Need a Bigger Boat because I gave up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on the title. All right. Shang-Chi defeated the Mandarin and the Dweller in Darkness, but he couldn't defeat the man. You see, he was spending so much time superheroing that he lost his day job as a valet after too many no-shows. But he still needed to pay his bills and have a roof over his head in his downtime to maintain his alter ego, Sean. So he started the job hunt. And it wasn't long before he got another valet job. 
but this time the job was parking boats at the local marina. At first, Shang enjoyed it, but after a while, he got discontent with the much slower speed of boat valet. For every one shiny speedboat, there were like 20 pontoon boats. It was a level of leisure Sean never knew he didn't want. Even worse, while watching the boats on the water with nothing else to do, he would get seasick. One day, when he was the only person on shift and in sight, Sean decided to fight his seasickness and his boredom by doing what he termed in his head as Deathmatch Fish Olympics, which was really just shooting his 10 rings off the boat at Fish in the Water to see what the biggest fish he could launch out of out into the air was. So one day he was doing his death match fish Olympics and he saw a giant shadow in the ocean under his boat. He shot his rings at it thinking it was a school of fish, but no fish were blasted out of the water. He leaned over the end of the boat, but the shadow was gone. Da-da. He leaned over further to see if he could see where it went. And that's when there was a large jolt from the back of the boat as something large busted through the mooring and started pushing the boat out to the sea. Sean nearly fell off the edge of the boat. Of course, being a superhero for realsies, he was able to catch his footing and he ran to the back of the boat to see what was pushing it. From the fin poking out of the water, he could tell it was a shark. So he shot his 10 rings at it, but it quickly disappeared. And Sean found himself and the boat in the middle of the open water far away from any help. Dang, that shark could swim fast, Sean thought to himself. Everything was silent and still. Sean tried to start the engine to bring the boat back in now that the shark was gone, but the ship wouldn't budge. When Sean went to check, the propeller had been ripped off. He peered all around the boat to see if the shark was gone, and it was nowhere in sight. So he decided he would shoot his ten rings into the ocean as a means of propelling himself back to the marina. However, as he did so, the shark quickly swam up from the depths, and before Sean's brain could register the shark's giant growing shadow, it had swallowed all ten rings. And immediately after that, half the boat. The remaining half of the boat started sinking and taking on water, and Sean tried to recall his rings, but it didn't seem to be working. And as the ship sank into the ocean, Sean could see the shark shadow coming up once again. But as Sean reared up in a desperate attempt to defend himself by some water martial arts, the shark stopped. The rings apparently had changed the shark's alignment, and now this intelligent creature was no longer bloodthirsty bent on killing Shang. It was friendly. Shang was able to climb aboard the shark, and the shark, which he named Jaws, took him back to the marina. Once on shore, through superhero magic, Jaws spit up all all but one of the rings, returning them to Shang but still remaining aligned to him as well by the one ring he kept. So that's how Shang-Chi managed to tame Jaws and gain him as a sidekick. However, that's also how he lost a boat and his marina job. When he returned home, he started on the job hunt again. A month later, Shang returned home from his adventures to find a letter from Aquaman. It read, Dude, get your own deal. The fish are mine. Love Aquaman. The end. So... I was convinced that you were secretly sneaking in the origin story for Jabberjaw in that. (laughs) Let me tell you, that's where the idea came from. Like I was going to Jabberjaw and I'm like, I can't, I can't add Jabberjaw to this mashup. People will have no idea. Uh, Jabberjaw is a a talking cartoon fish. Um. Yeah, it was a, 
Yeah, I, that was I was immediately thinking, like, if she turns this where Shang-Chi and Jaws form a band, I'm going to I'm so 100 percent in was really, really close, Jonathan. And I'm glad that well, you got there from me yes. setting up setting up the steps. I was just I was I was about 80 percent sure that that might be how it turns out. Uh, but yes, I'm glad that I'm glad that I was thinking on the same line of thought as you. Of yes. course, if you out there have suggestions for how Jaws and Shang-Chi could be mashed up, or you have your own thoughts on things we can mash up together in future episodes, or maybe some topic of discussion we should tackle, like, you know, like we did with Peacemaker in this episode, reach out to us, let us know. You can send us an email. The email address is lnc at iheartmedia.com. You can also reach out to us on social media. On Twitter, we are LNC underscore podcast. And on Facebook and Instagram, we're Large Neutron Collider. Thank you to everybody who has written to us in the last week. Vivienne for her show recommendation. Dean, who uh, is lucky enough to live where they are filming Secret Wars and was able to see some of the uh, set pieces nearby. Uh, Dawn for the great Oliphant art that uh, she drew after our Pinocchio Lord of the Rings episode. If you haven't seen that, you can go on our social media to see it. Uh, And our good friend Shay, who even put us in an article about what podcasts you should read based on your astrology sign. So we love all of you. We love hearing from you. Please, please continue to write us. Uh, It brings light to our days. Yes. And, uh, you know, I've only got so many episodes of Community left, so I need more light. And until next time, I am majorly skeptical Razmataz. And I am Ariel's gonna kind of get it right someday, Casting. The Large Nerdron Collider is a production of iHeartRadio and was created by Ariel Kasten. Jonathan Strickland is the executive producer. The show is produced, edited, and published by Tari Harrison. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public, the list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward, don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. 
like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Grown Up Stuff. Grown Up Stuff.